0: Morning. Please join with me in reading the scripture for today, Uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. And I'm reading the English Standard Version. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Please be seated. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today, as I always am. I'm very grateful to be able to worship with this lovely congregation. I enjoy the singing, the very fine way that you enter into our singing, and the prayers are so sincere and scriptural. I'm very grateful for the prayers, and for all the men who've led us in our worship today, I'm thankful for you. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you, and we encourage you to come back whenever you can. We'd love to have you, and I hope you'll stay so that we can become personally acquainted and encourage you to be back with us. Tonight, we will come together, Lord willing, at 6 o'clock. It's my intention tonight to speak about the city of Jerusalem. I I say it's my intention. I'm still working on the matter. Um, Whether you realize it or not, preaching sermons are hard work. I I have to work at it. Um uh, I'm not inspired the Bible's inspired I'm not and I have to work hard at it and I think I've made every mistake in the book that you can make along the way and so I try to prevent that from happening and by study and preparation so I say it's my intention to speak about the city of Jerusalem tonight maybe show some slides regarding the matter and and what the city of Jerusalem historically means and Uh, something from the pages of the Bible about Jerusalem, but more important than that, what it means to us today as children of God and how we should apply those matters to ourselves. I hope you'll be with us tonight at six o'clock as we study these important matters. Today the calendar calls it Mother's Day, and it's a wonderful day. As I wrote a little piece in the front of the bulletin, make sure you get the bulletin and and read the article in the front and read all of the bulletin material because it is very important. You'll see that it was first proposed in 1872, but it didn't really become a uh, national holiday until 1915. The President of the United States proclaimed it to be a, um, a national observance, always on the second Sunday of May, and I'm grateful for this. But I think as you and I have read out of the reading today, and thank you for the reading, in Ephesians chapter 6, every day is Mother's Day, and the second Sunday of May is a very special day. So with that in mind, I'd like to spend just a few moments talking about the matter of mothers. I would like to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about that. And if you'll go to the next slide for me, I will make the four following points. This, I think, helps us see where I'm going, and a lot of preachers and public speakers won't do it this way, but I like to do it this way because you know where I'm going to go with this. The problem with this is you're wondering how long is it going to take him to get to point four. Uh, That's what you're concerned about, I know, but I'll try to be efficient in, in my discussion. I want to talk about the influence of mothers, and I don't think that we could emphasize that enough, but then I also want to talk about It's a job that's been taken for granted. By taken for granted, we simply mean we expect this out of mothers. We expect that, and we do not give them the credit and the value and the benefit that we really should. And then I want to talk about the fact it's the hardest job in the world. There's not a job like being a mother, and it really takes a lot out of a person to be a mother, and I can only talk about that. Um, Many of you know that, how that's true, but I really want to... Focus on point four, what makes a good mother? And I think when we look at that from the pages of the Bible, then we're going to see how important it is to be a good mother and to honor and respect our mothers, and for you to become a better mother, and for you as a husband to honor and respect the wife that God has given you and the mother that you have. So let me start just for a moment talking about the influence of mothers. I think that's what Paul had in mind when he gave us this great passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, if you study the book of Ephesians and you're going through that great book of the Bible, you come to a very practical section, Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. And right off the bat in Ephesians chapter 4, he uses a metaphor, walk, which means to live. Now, he'll pick that metaphor up several times in the second half of the book of Ephesians, and he uses it again in chapter 5 and verse 15. Uh, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So be careful how you live. Live a wise Christian life. And involved in that context of being careful how you live is this passage we read today in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, this is part of being careful how you live. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Well, I stopped the reading there at verse 3 because that really focuses on the influence of mothers and fathers. And God in the long ago, whether it be Exodus chapter 20 or Ephesians chapter 6, is telling us that mothers and fathers are deserving of our consideration, our respect, and our honor. Now, in technically speaking, uh, in the Lord refers back to the children. It doesn't refer back to the parents, the mother, the father. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the um, uh, first commandment with the promise, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord, the object of that prepositional phrase goes back to the children. They are to honor their mother. They are to honor their father. And it's a day in which we honor mother and father, especially mothers, because of the influence that they've had in our lives. So Paul is saying part of walking wisely, Ephesians 5.15, is to honor mother and father. And today we emphasize the importance of honoring our mothers. This is not new. For in Exodus 20, in the long ago, God was saying, do that whether you be in the Old Testament or whether you be in the New. God is emphasizing the importance of the honor that mothers should have. And when you look at um, the influence of some mothers in the pages of the Bible, you soon see something of the great influence that a mother has. And I'll just off the top of my head talk about a couple of great mothers from the standpoint of the Old Testament that serve as great examples of influence upon their children. And one that comes to my mind is Hannah. Every time I think about a wonderful mother, I think of how Hannah must have been such a wonderful mother in 1 Samuel. And Hannah married to Elkanah. They would go to Shiloh. I wanted to go to Shiloh, and I kept trying to get my tour guide guy to take me to Shiloh. And we talked about it for several days. However, we couldn't. they felt like it was not safe for us to go to Shiloh. But I wanted to go, so we didn't end up going to Shiloh. But... I wanted to go to Shiloh because it's at Shiloh that the ark was. It was at Shiloh that the children of Israel during this time of their history would go to Shiloh to worship, and they went every year. Probably the Feast of Tabernacles or something like that was bringing them to Shiloh, and Hannah would go to Shiloh, but Hannah didn't have any children. Penina, she had children, and Penina would chide and make fun of Hannah because she didn't have children. Hannah, Penina, Elkanah, didn't know. But God had caused her to be barren. God was the one who would said no to her up to this point. And she was praying, and she was moving her lips, but she wasn't speaking her prayer audibly. Generally, when a person would pray in the Old Testament, they would speak their prayer out loud. But she's praying, but she's praying silently. But she's moving her lips And Eli chastises her. He thinks she's drunk by doing that. Why are you doing that? She says, oh, no. No, I'm not drunk. I'm praying. I'm praying to God. And she prayed, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll devote him to your service. And I have to tell you, what a son she had. When God gave her that son, Samuel heard of God. Man, what a great man of Israel he was. Uh, One cannot recount the greatness of Samuel, the end of the judges and the beginning of the great prophets of God. Samuel was one of the great men of all the Bible. I love to talk about his life. But here was a woman who had such influence on her son. She didn't bring her son immediately to Shiloh. She weaned her son. Uh, A child in that day and time may nurse for two, maybe even three years before weaning, but then at the end of that weaning time, she brings her son and puts him in the tutelage and the care of Eli, the priest at Shiloh. What a mother. You give me a son, and I'll devote him to you and to your service. What a great son, and what a great mother. The point that I'm trying to emphasize is the influence that mothers have. That's another great mother in the pages of the Bible I'd like to talk to you about just for a moment that'll tell us something of the great influence that mothers have. And, I'm, of course, I'm thinking about my mother at the present. But um, that was the mother named Jochebed. You remember Jochebed? Her name occurs twice in the pages of Exodus. Her son was Moses, Moshe, because he was drawn from the water. The children of Israel were prolific And the Pharaoh who was raised up, who knew not Joseph, now says, we've got to do something with all these Hebrew slaves because it's possible that they will come an enemy and they will side with the enemy and overwhelm us. We've got to do something with these Hebrew slaves. And so I don't see how they could do it, but the decree went out throughout all the land that the midwives who would help deliver babies among the Hebrews, when a boy would be born, they would take and kill the boy. They'd murder him. But the midwives were faithful to God, and they didn't do what Pharaoh had commanded them to do. And Pharaoh brought the midwives in and said, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And they said, well, the Hebrew women are so prolific they have the child before I ever get there. And God blessed the midwives because they were faithful to God and wouldn't follow the decree of a wicked king killing innocent children. I don't see how a, congr- I don't see how a culture can do that. I don't see how a country can do that. Slay innocent children and kill them. I don't see how they can do it. What a blight on our country where little children are destroyed even before they're born. Every baby has a right to be born. And yet some of them will go and destroy them. I don't see how they do it. But they did. Here, one particular woman named Jochebed. Her name doesn't occur there in the first, second chapter. It occurs later in chapter 6 of the priestly lineage. She came from the house of Levi, uh, her husband. Uh, he was from the house and the family of Levi as well, Amram. And so when she had this baby boy and she saw what a beautiful baby boy he was, she took that ark made out of bulrushes, made out of those stalks and stems and leaves and limbs and pitched it within and without Put that baby, that precious child, in that little box, that little ark, and there set it afloat upon the Nile. But God was working in his providential way. And the princess of Egypt heard that baby crying. And when she opened up that little bulrushes of an ark, she saw a beautiful baby. Miriam, the sister of Moses, came running up. She says, I know a, a nurse for the mother among the Hebrews. She said, go get her. And she went and got... Moses' own mother, and hence his name, drawn from the water, Moses. And what a man of God Moses was, all because of the influence of her mother. You see how ingenious she was. She wasn't going to put her baby to to death. She was going to save her baby and leave it in the arms of the trusting life of God and the word of God and the will of God, and God took care of Moses. What a mother she really was. And if I may, I want to take a moment to talk about another mother and her great influence. This great mother was the mother of our Lord. You know, it concerns me about the heroes and the people that our children look up to. Sometimes they look up to people that are not so good. And a lot of the entertainers today and the women who are entertainers today and the men who are entertainers today, we look up to them, especially our young people. You see the influence they have on our young people. Why don't you look up to a person like this woman, Mary, who was a young woman for her time, but yet God saw such a chaste and pure young woman there that he said, this is the woman that will bear my son. And there, Joseph was a just man, not willing to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away privily, but because he loved her and was concerned to her. He was espoused to her. Why, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee, Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bear forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Joseph woke up and he understood this is a special circumstance. This is a special situation. What a wonderful mother she must have been. Pure, chaste, that she would be the mother of the only begotten Son of God. What a great mother she must have been. One time Jesus was lost from the family. And it took them three days to find Jesus. And where did they find him? found him in the temple. Found him in the temple there discussing matters of the law. And everyone was amazed at the depth of his wisdom and the depth of his understanding. And his mother came to him and said, Son, don't you know you and your father, your father and I have been looking for you and looking for you? He says, why have you treated us this way? And he, in an, almost an astonishment, turns to her and says, Well, didn't you know I'd have to be in my father's house? It didn't mean Joseph there. It meant his father's house. He was studying and he was learning. Luke chapter 2 tells us that she kept all this in her heart. She treasured that, no doubt, through the course of her life. She knows something about these particular matters. Though not having a full understanding, she would lead, guide, direct, and influence the Son of God. It's amazing relationship that exists there. And it's an amazing story that we have from the pages of the Bible The Bible surely talks about wonderful mothers and the influence that they have on their lives. I'll just tell one story, and I promise to stop at that story. Not that I'm going to end the sermon, but I'm not going to keep telling stories. It's a true story, and my mother always told me, don't tell stories, but this is a true story. This is one that's true. Congregation where we were worshiping at at the time... um, bought a new building. It wasn't a new building. It was an older building, but much improved over where we were worshiping at the time. And I actually was able to go to my own classroom. They had classrooms. which was the first time I'd ever remember doing that growing up as a child. And when we walked up to the front of the building for the very first time, just a little boy, she says, you see what that sign says? I looked at that sign. She says, it says Church of Christ. You go to the church of Christ. It's the only one you read in the New Testament. That stuck with me all my life. What I'm talking about is the influence that godly mothers can have on an individual. No wonder mothers are special in the sight of God. No wonder mothers are special in the family and have such a special place in the family is because of the influence that they have. Now let me talk a little bit about the second point, and I'll have to be brief, of course, because I want to spend more time with the fourth. But the second point is that mothers are taken for granted. I think all of us know that. Uh, Taken for granted simply means we expect this out of you, and we don't expect to give anything in return. Uh, We expect this kind of behavior out of you. We expect you to do this, we expect you to do that, and we just expect it mothers do this this is what we do mother I was visiting a family one time and eating they invited me over to eat it was in the afternoon evening and uh, she was busy doing the wash and she was busy doing the cooking and they were very good friends of mine I said well you've been working all day she says welcome to my world as a mother And I thought, you know, that's right. She's cooking the dinner for us. At that time, we called it supper. I don't know, somehow we changed. It's not dinner anymore. Now it's supper. And she's also doing the wash for the family. We expect certain things out of mothers, and they're taken for granted. And a lot of times we don't understand, and we don't realize just how much we should really appreciate and value all the wonderful things good mothers do. That's why the wise man in Proverbs 31 and verse 10 told us, said, Her price is far above rubies. She exists, but she's rare. The good mother does exist out there, but the good mother can be rare and extremely valuable because of all of the wonderful things. I read in a uh, article in Parent Magazine one time, it's been several years ago, and so the numbers are surely out of date. But I'll just simply give the point that they were making, that if you hired someone to do all the things that a mother does and that we expect her to do all the time in the family and out, what would that do as far as value is concerned monetarily? How much money would that require? And they had certain figures on that particular matter, which I'll not try to go into, but simply make the point. If we had to hire someone to do all of that, what would that cost us and how valuable would that be for us? It would be considerable amount of value and cost. And we don't think about it in that term because we take it for granted. She's taken for granted. We've got to be very careful to change that. We've got to change the idea that I'm not going to take my mother for granted. I'm going to call her, talk to her, visit with her and express appreciation and say to her, Mother, I love you. Have you told your mother you love her recently? Now, it may be that your mother is not alive and you can't do that anymore. But if she is, take the opportunity to say, Mother, I love you. And thank you for all the things you've done for me. I want to make the point that being a mother is the hardest job in all the world. First of all, just giving birth. That's not an easy thing. Uh, None of us really know and understand what that's like or what that's about because none of us have gone through that particular uh, experience. But giving birth is is an agonizing type of affair. I'm sure with modern medicines and medications and procedures it helps. But still, even with that, it's quite an ordeal for a mother, an agony for a mother to go through that kind of, of experience. Mothers forget the pain, the agony, and the suffering that they go through in giving birth to their children, and now they automatically love the newborn baby, the newborn baby boy, the newborn baby girl, but that's just the beginning. Then there's the first day at school, and then there are all the broken limbs and the arms. Then there are all the broken hearts that have to be soothed and comforted. And then there's all the nights of worry which mothers go through because this one is out late at night or we're not sure what's taking place. And then throughout life there's the loneliness, wondering where the children are, wondering about the children because the children have not responded or talked to or visited mother in a long while. Hardest job in the world, being a mother. I want to spend the rest of our time and it's just but a few moments that I have left but I do want to do the best I can with a passage that's found for us in Proverbs 31 and so I ask that you turn to that particular passage of scripture it's found in a section called Hebrew poetry. Uh, It is the last of the proverbs that came from the wise man there are several who contributed to this book and we read of this particular passage in Proverbs 31 and it starts off in verse 1 of chapter 31 about advice been given to him by his mother what I want to do is go through this twice the first time I go through this I want to look at it in its context and look at it in its historical setting and explain a little bit what this inspired writer is saying But then I want to go back through it again and I want to look at it from our context and from our perspective and learn by application what I should take away from this passage. And in doing that, surely it'll help us appreciate and love our mothers even more. And it will help mothers to be better mothers. And it'll help men to go out and find a good woman to be a mother for their children. And it'll help husbands to appreciate the wonderful wife and mother that they have. As I mentioned in Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle, which his mother taught him. It starts out, even this great king is describing words of appreciation with regard to his mother. And the first thing that he talks about, it takes place in about verse 10. It goes from there, verse 10 and 12. He talks about his marriage and the marriage that the mother and the wife has. And the worthy woman is a woman who has the trust and confidence of her husband. And that's his point. Uh, He doesn't have to be worried in a jealous way about her and guard her in a jealous way, nor does he have to be concerned about the assets of the family with regard to the worthy woman. Because he has trust and confidence in her. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. He truly does trust in her because of her faithfulness and her total loyalty. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And so his point there is that the worthy woman is one who her husband has total confidence in her because she has total trust and loyalty in him. He's not worried about her faithfulness. He's not worried about her loyalty with regard to the assets of the family. He's not going to lose anything with regard to her because of her loyalty. But then he talks about, in about verse 13, her behavior. And let me spend a little portion of time talking about the specifics of this portion of the proverb. She looks for wool and flax... And works with her hands in delight. she is like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. In other words, she secures the very best that she can for her and her family. And she's looking for the very best. She looks for wool, she looks for flax. In her mind, and in her priority is her family. And she's looking for the very best for her family. Now, the merchant ships that come from afar, they were bringing the very best materials. And so in that regard, she's going out and pursuing that. But that's not all. She prepares the very best that she can for her family as far as their food is concerned. And she rises early in the morning to start that process because it is a laborious process. She rises also while it is still night, verse 15, and gives food to her household and portions to her her maidens. And so through a laborious task, she doesn't have a stove or an oven or a microwave or anything such as that. It's a laborious task, but she gets up early. She gets up before the sun does. And if you'll notice his comments about the matter, her work is from sun up to sun down. She's working all the time as a worthy woman and as a worthy mother. She's a very resourceful person. She looks out there and she sees that here's the possibility of buying a field. She considers a field and buys it From her earnings she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She is a strong woman because she's going out and doing things that needs to be done. And she gets out there and she's resourceful. And she uses the opportunities that God has given her in order for the benefit of her family. Now I'm at about verse 18. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. And that goes back to the point that I was making about her day. Her day is from sunup to sundown. I mean, she's working all the time for the benefit of her family, and hence the reference to the lamp. Now, she works all the time. He uses terms like distaff and spindle. These are words that convey the idea of turning wool into um, thread. And she uses these tools for the benefit of her family. She stretches out her hands to the distaff. This is verse 19. And her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. And she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is a merciful type of person. Even though she's working for her family. She also is considered of those who are in need. And her priority is her family. But she helps the poor as well. Her husband is enhanced because of the kind of woman that she is. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She wears fine clothing. But it's because she has helped the poor with their clothing. And God has blessed her in that regard with hers. And so she's able to wear fine clothing because of the sacrificial heart that she has toward others. Now I'm in verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That's where the elders would adjudicate matters, was at the city gate. And if you had a problem and you wanted to have some kind of solution to the matter, you'd go to the city gate and to the elders and present your case, and they would make solution to the matter. Well, her husband is one of the elders at the gate. And the reason that he's emphasized here is because she's helped him get there. She's enhanced him. She's helped him get to that position, a position of responsibility and a position of credibility among other people. Uh, Her husband is known in the gates. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Now, by verse 25 through 27, he really gets down to the matter of her character. Up to this point, he's talked about the activity of this worthy woman and mother, But now he talks about her character, and the real strength of her character we see is on the inside. It's not on the outside totally. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. It's an interesting way to describe the inward character of the worthy woman and mother. She is a teaching individual, and she teaches wisdom and is tempered with kindness, verse 26 she opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She understands the word of God. She understands the wisdom of God to her ability and to human limitation. And yet she tempers that with a kind heart and a merciful spirit, which only a woman really has. Men really don't have that kind of aptitude and ability. She's a skilled manager of her home, verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not indolent in the responsibility and chores that need to be done. And they are so many. Now by verse 28 and 29, he's talking about family life. And how she handles every day-to-day affairs with regard to family life. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Oh, they love her. Her husband also. And he praises her. He praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly but you excel them all. He praises her because of the wonderful work that she's able to do. She's earned the praise of her family because of the life that she has lived and because of the inner quality that she has. And her husband recognizes that, and he praises her as well. Verse 30 and 31, the last section of this particular proverb, which is an amazing passage of Scripture, really talks about her spiritual life. Let me make comment as I explain what he references here. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. You see, form and face are not the most important thing to the worthy woman and the worthy wife. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. When he says fears the Lord there, he uses a word which means to have great reverence and respect for God. In fact, when this word fear is used, it's hard to capsulize it into English, but I like to think of it this way to try to get my mind wrapped around the concept, and that is have a radical respect for God. She fears the Lord. She has a radical respect for God. She really does reverence God. She really does respect God. And he's talking about her spiritual kind of life. And this is far more important than the physical. Give her the produce or the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates, verse 31. And I often thought of verse 31 as that is a fitting eulogy for the godly mother. Let her life praise her. Let her life be the kind of life where it really bespeaks that of a godly woman. Now I want to quickly go back to Proverbs 31 and I've explained it in just a very brief way as to what the writer is saying and kept it in the context as best I could with regard to the day in which it was written. But what does that mean for me and what kind of application should I take from that? One of the things that I see from this particular matter by means of application is this wonderful woman and this wonderful mother is a modest woman and a modest mother. And one of the things I read about in this passage is the fact she's making these clothes. And she's dressed in fine clothing. And she's helped other people who are needy to have clothing as well. And God has blessed her because of that. But she's a modest woman. And if there's anything that we need to learn and study from the pages of the Bible today is modesty among women. Women need to adorn themselves in modest apparel. And they need to be a kind of modest person. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9 is the New Testament teaching on the subject. And women need to be considerate of that particular matter. And I'm going to tell you another story. I said I wouldn't, but I'm going to. And it's a true story. I want you to think about it. And I'm not talking about anyone here. I'm talking about a galaxy far, far away from here, okay? Okay man comes to me, he's a faithful Christian man, he says, I have a problem, I have a problem. And I'm saying, look, I probably am not the right guy for you to talk to about your problems. I'm not a good counselor. He says, no, I want you to know that, I want you to help me. I said, I'll do what I can. And the problem is immodesty. And that's as far as I'm going to go with that. And he had a real problem with it. Immodesty in women. But he's a sensitive, sincere, faithful Christian. And he recognizes the problem he has with that. And he wants to study the Bible to improve his life. And make it more like Christ. Another man comes to me. Same problem. Different man altogether. This is not here. This is in a galaxy far, far away from here. So it's no one that you will ever know. He has such a problem with this, he cannot go out Side his house because everywhere he goes he is confronted with the sexual in the innuendo he's confronted with the problem of modesty in dress and it engenders thoughts which are really corrupt and his mind in the bible condemns that ephesians chapter 5 ephesians chapter 6 colossians chapter 3 and he's saying i help me get over this help me this is a problem And as women, you have to know that. The worthy woman, the worthy mother, is a mother that dresses modestly. And conducts herself in a way that will not engender feelings in another that cannot lawfully be fulfilled. Now that's a straight definition of the word lasciviousness. And when someone dresses in a provocative type of way, that will create desires in another person that cannot lawfully be fulfilled. That person is involving themselves in the sin of lasciviousness. And let me put it to you this way. If God will condemn a man for looking upon a woman to lust after her in his heart, what will he do to the woman who provokes that kind of thought in another man's heart? He'll condemn her too. The worthy woman, the worthy mother, Is a modest woman who dresses modestly and is concerned about the other person. And that's one of the points that I read about the worthy woman. She's thinking about other people. This wonderful woman that I'm reading about, this mother, this woman, Proverbs 31, she's thinking about the poor, she's thinking about her husband, she's thinking about her children. That is certainly something that Christian women do, don't they? They're concerned about others and they think about others. One of the things I saw about her in this book, she's a teacher. She teaches others, she teaches others the wisdom of God. She trains and instructs children. And she helps them see the way of the Lord better. She knows the truth of God's word. And like only a woman could do it. With tenderness and kindness and love. In her voice and in her heart. She's teaching little children. She's teaching others. Where would I be without godly women in my life? Where would you be? Women as mothers who took the time to teach they have a heart of gold godly women and godly mothers and that's certainly manifested in this particular passage the attitude that they have and I'll just say in passing this woman i read and christian women women that follow the teaching of the new testament they're concerned about eternity They're concerned about their soul, they're concerned about their children's soul, and they focus on that and they do what they can to help others come to understand what it means to be a child of God. Would you pause just for a moment with me and let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I'm thankful to you for all the mothers that we have here today, for my own mother, and for all the godly women that we know that have been influenced by your divine word. Help us, Heavenly Father, to express our love, our care, our concern for those about us who need us. May we grow in our appreciation and our love for our mothers our family, our fathers, and for all of our Christian family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgive us of our shortcomings, Heavenly Father. And in the end, heaven save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now if you never become a child of God, I urge you to become one today. I urge that your heart be pricked To the point where you say within yourself, I am not a child of God. I never repented of my sin, as the Bible teaches me to do. I've never been baptized into Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And I want to do it today. I hope that's the case for you. I hope you'll come to see that God's way is the best way. And that you'll repent of your sins. That means get the sin out of your life. And do it now. Luke 13, 3. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. The entry point whereby we enter into the kingdom of God. And the Lord puts us in his church, the New Testament church. If You never confess the name of Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do it today. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and 10. You've been unfaithful to the word of God? Repent of it. Let's change that. Have the spiritual courage to change your life from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. And I pray you'll do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.